a study that is being done by um, neuroscientists about the brain. And uh, here's a summary of it. The study said that there is a joy center in the brain. That's they just discovered that, and it's in the right orbital prefrontal cortex of your brain. Did you get that? <laughs> if you know the Lord, you've got it anyway. The joy center, the scientists said, have an executive control over the entire emotional system. In fact, he said, when that joy center has sufficiently developed, meaning when you come to Jesus, they didn't say that. (laughs) I'm saying that. (laughs) It regulates emotions and pain control and the immunity centers. It guides all of our behavior. It releases neurotransmitters like uh, dopamine and uh, serotonin, and it is the only part of the brain that overrides the main impulses center of the brain. When I read this, I said, scientists are finally discovering what the Apostle Paul knew 2,000 years ago, and that we have been seeing throughout this series of messages on joy, namely, that the joy of the Lord brings about contentment in all of life. The joy of the Lord brings about contentment in all of life. As you study Philippians 4, the last passage that we're looking at as we conclude this series of messages, Philippians 4.10, I can tell you it's one of the most exciting passages and the richest passage of that wonderful epistle. And yet, it is the most misunderstood and misquoted passage in the Philippian uh, epistle. Paul said, I have learned the secret of contentment. I have learned. Whenever you see the word learned, you can be absolutely certain that it's an indication that this is not something you're born with. You don't get born contented. When you see the word learned, you can be absolutely sure that this is not something you're going to get through revelation. When you wake up one day, I said, oh, I now have contentment. No, it is not like that at all. The learning of anything takes time. The learning of anything takes willingness to learn. The learning of anything requires a desire to learn. The learning of anything requires perseverance in learning. It requires experience. And that learning of this secret of contentment cannot be accomplished when a person experiences nothing but prosperity and success in their life. You say, how come? Well, if you've been given everything, and let this be a warning to all Young moms and dads, we want to give our kids everything. And we make a horrible mistake in the process. But if you and when you are given everything, you will never be able to experience contentment. It's just an impossibility. Also, the other extreme is important. Learning of that secret cannot be accomplished if a person experiences nothing but deprivation in life all of the time both ways. But the secret that the Apostle Paul has learned is when a person is exposed to both of those extremes, exposed to success and failure. We don't like failure, but your failure can be your teacher, not your undertaker. 
Failure can be a detour, not a dead-end street. When you're exposed both to prosperity and to loss, when you're exposed both to abundance and lack, when you're exposed both to the mountaintop and the valley, both of these elements are your teachers in the school of contentment. If you grew up with everything and never experienced anything of value being taken away from you, if you grow up always getting your way and not learning to yield to anyone, then the moment you suffer any loss of any kind, you're going to think it's the end of the world. On the other hand, if you grow up with nothing and you remain that way, whether it be poverty or failure or, or deprivation, and then you all of a sudden you experience success or wealth or whatever it may be, the question is going to be, is that these things going to corrupt you or are they going to make you live in guilt for having them? And people do that. Paul learned the secret of contentment by experiencing both of those extremes. Some days he had lots of food to eat. Other days he could not find enough to even fill his stomach. He had prestige and power and possessions. And then he had to sleep in a miserable dungeon and a prison cell in Rome and in Philippi. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is that I have learned to choke the arrogance that comes from wealth, and I have learned to squash the spiritual arrogance that can come from poverty. How can you do that? Because he made his contentment to be independent of his circumstances. The Apostle Paul learned that contentment is a state of the heart, not state of affairs. And he is saying that if I had plenty, praise the Lord, I share it with others. If I have very little or nothing at all, I praise the Lord anyway because I know He's going to meet all of my needs. Hallelujah either way, as the song said. Now, there are some people who see virtue in wealth. There are some people who see virtue in poverty. They both are wrong. There's no virtue in either. Because unlike the self-sufficient Stoics, Paul never claimed to be strong in himself. He just said, because I owe everything to God, therefore I'm contented. Now, beloved, listen to me. When you come to the point in your life when you're totally trusting in the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus when you completely trust in His timing and in His ways, God will arrange all of your circumstances to meet all of your needs. When you have absolute confidence in the sovereign hand of God, you will not panic when you face tough circumstances. You are not going to try to grab things into your own hands and run your own way. When you come to the point of recognizing that our times and our seasons are in His hand, you will live above the fray. Those who seek to control their life, those who seek to manipulate things and manipulate people uh, to their advantage, those who seek to orchestrate their circumstances, sooner or later, 
they will become frustrated. In fact, they will live their life in frustration. They will never know contentment. They will never know the joy that comes from being contented. Have you ever prayed for a miracle? I pray for miracles all the time. Miracles happen in two ways. There are some miracles that are clearly supernatural intervention of God into the natural realm. I have seen that too many times in my own life and the lives of others. If you have never read my book, If God is in Control, Why is My Life Such a Mess? You'll read me document a lot of stuff there. I have experienced what no scientific and naturalistic explanation other than the hand and the power of God breaking through the natural. But then there are miracles that happen in our life where God basically weaves together events and circumstances and people and words and decisions to fit His purpose and bring about a miracle. Proverbs 16, 9 said, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Look at Joseph's life. We know now, of course, in hindsight, what was the ultimate purpose of God for Joseph. That's why he gave him that dream, that he's going to be sitting on the throne of Egypt. He's going to be the second highest power in the superpower of the world of that day. That was God's purpose for him. How did God do it? Did he send a a whirlwind, a whisked him out of Canaan into Egypt, and here he is, fulfillment in his dream? No. It didn't happen that way at all. First, he was the object of the envy by his miserable brothers. Ah, but listen, God was working his purpose out. You can't see it, but that's God was working it out. Then there was the Ishmaelite caravan that bought him from his brothers and took him into Egypt. Now, if you think that this is equivalent to a sleeper seat on a jetliner, you'll be mistaken. That was a miserable, miserable camel ride for a few weeks in the desert. Oh, but God was working His purposes out. Then He was not sold just to anybody. He could have been sold to any of the noblemen of Egypt. No, he was sold to the head of the Egyptian FBI, (laughs) Potiphar. Why? God was working his purpose out. Then there was a constant nagging temptation by Mrs. Potiphar. I mean, fighting that temptation must have been made his life miserable. But God was working his purposes out. You say, God, is this how you repay me for my faithfulness? I end up in prison? No, Joseph didn't say. He knew that God was working his purpose out. Being thrown into an Egyptian dungeon is not necessarily the greatest answer to prayer that he was expecting. But God was working what? His purpose out. Meeting the cupbearer in the prison in Egypt was not by accident. God was working His purpose out. The cupbearer leaves the prison, forgets all about Joseph. And I'm convinced in my own heart that every time the door was open, he said, oh, he must have remembered. 
And then for years, he was still in that dungeon, and that cupbearer had forgotten all about Joseph. And that must have been very hurtful, deeply hurtful for Joseph. Oh, but God was working his purpose out in his perfect timing. And right on schedule, Joseph sits on the throne of Egypt. God works his way, his timing, to fulfill Joseph's dream. And Paul is saying that he so trusted in the sovereign hand of God that he learned to be contented in the ups and in the downs, in the abundance and in the lack, in the sickness and in the health, in the courts of the kings and in the dungeons in the prisons. Why? Verse 13, because he believed that he owed everything to God. And because he owed everything to God, therefore he said, I can do everything through him who continuously strengthens me. Now, lots of people quote this verse. (laughs) I hear it quoted, bandied about in such a way, and I know by it, so sometimes they mean, you know, uh, I can be a superman, or, you know, I can walk on water, and I can raise the dead, you know, I can do all things through Christ. You got to understand it in context. You've got to understand what he's saying here. And in context, Paul is saying, whatever circumstance in which I find myself, whether it be with the rich and powerful or with the poor and the powerless, or whether it be preaching in the Ephesian Colosseum with 25,000 people, or he is just uh, speaking to the Philippian jailer, or whether he is speaking to King Agrippa or a lowly soldier in Rome, I can do all these things that God assigns to me through his power. That's what he meant by it. He said, I will do God's will in my life, regardless of where I am physically. I will do God's will in my life, regardless where I am materially. You have got to learn that it is obedience that God is seeking. And you've been hearing me talking about obedience throughout the series of messages because it happened to be one of the themes of that epistle. But listen to me. Please listen. If you thought that I am teaching you that you can obey God in your own strength, you have misunderstood me. And I am sorry that you misunderstood me. I have never intended to communicate that at all. But when Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me, he is saying that I can count on God's power to empower me to obey Him. I can count on God's power to give me the strength to obey Him. I can count on God's power to carry me through whatever I go through. I can count on God's power to lift me up above my circumstances, no matter how bad they may be. I can count on God's power to make Christ to be my all-sufficiency. You say, how come? Ah, because contentment belongs to those who trust in God's power, not theirs. God's power will bring contentment to those who have no strength of their own. Where does this contentment come from in the Apostle Paul's life? Look at verse 19. My God will meet all your needs. How? According to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you this. Do you stand in need of salvation? Only Jesus can meet that need. 
Do you stand in need of strength in your difficult and trying circumstances? He and He alone can supply that strength. Are you lonely and desperate? He and He alone can come and comfort you with the balm of Gilead. Are you discouraged and feel God has deserted you? He and He alone can supply you with all of His promises that all He's working all things out, cooperating all things out for your good and His glory. Are you suffering because of action of other people who are evil and wicked? He will lift you up above that hurt. He alone can do that. Are you looking for a breakthrough and wondering where God is? Why is God so silent in the middle of your circumstances? He and He alone can give you the comfort of assurance and the perseverance to wait. All of your needs shall be met by Him in His perfect timing. Hear me right on this one. When God meets your need, when He meets my needs, when He comes and meets our needs... He's not sitting up in heaven scrambling. I said, oh, i got to do something. i got to help this person. That's not how God works. <laughs> he will meet all of your needs in accordance with His glorious riches. Not just riches, glorious riches. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Does any of you think that you can exhaust God's riches? No. There's still others when God just provide a deposit or a beginning of a blessing or a beginning of an answer to prayer, they take that and say, well, that's enough, thank you, Lord, and they go and forget all about the Lord, as if half a loaf better than nothing at all. That's how we think. But can you believe that this is not really unique thinking to our time? There are people in the Bible who prayed that way. Abraham and Sarah, God said, you're going to have a baby, the two of you. Oh, but God delayed. I am convinced what went through their mind is, um, you know, maybe God could have done this when we were a bit younger, but now we're really too old and it's just too much for God. It's just too much for Him. And so they settled for second best. In fact, that's how Abraham prayed. Let me give you a use of translation. He said, Lord, Ishmael will do. And God said, no. You cannot exhaust my riches. All you need to do is remain faithful. Why faithfulness is very important in the fulfillment of the promise that my God shall meet all of your needs. Of course, we all like our God to meet all of our needs, right? I mean, we all do. But according to the text here, and I'm not making the stuff up, it's in the Word of God. Paul here is so confident that God is going to meet all of their needs, the needs of the Philippians. Why? Because they were faithful. They have sacrificially sent him a gift to help him in his ministry. And Paul was saying, because of your faithfulness, because of your faithful giving, because of your sacrificial giving, God is going to meet all of your needs. A lot of people, of course, want to meet God, meet their needs. But they never take time and examine themselves. Lord, am I faithful to you? Have I been faithful with my resources? I've been faithful with my time. I've been faithful with my life. I know sometimes when I challenge you to be faithful and remain faithful and, and to give sacrificially for the work of the ministry, 
I believe what the apostles believe. It's not because the ministry needs your support. God will provide for His ministry. He has and always will. I never have a shadow of doubt about that. But because I don't want you to miss out on the incredible blessings of God that He wants to give you in response to your faithfulness. Even if He delays, He's going to keep His Word. In fact, that's what God said about Abraham. Finally, when he trusted, finally, when he believed, he said, Abraham believed, and God credited to him. In other words, he, he put it in his deposit side of the ledger. He gave him credit for that faith. We know we're not saved by works. We're not even saved by works of faith. But after we're saved, our faith and our faithfulness is credited unto us. That's what the Apostle Paul said, is credited to our ledger there in heaven. And Paul is saying, because of your faithfulness, because of your sacrificial giving, because you trusted God in the tough times, God is going to credit it to your account. Amen. It's in the Word. And that is why he said, I'm so glad you sent that gift, not because of what it does for me, but because of what it's going to do for you, and how it's going to bless you, and how it's going to reward you. And that's how God will see to it, that He will supernaturally intervene in your circumstances. Let me ask you this before we pray. There are many varied circumstances, as there are people in this place, and others, hundreds, are watching on the Internet. Are you facing difficulties? Are you facing trying times? Are you feel panicking, and you don't know what to do next? God wants you to be faithful to Him. God wants you to trust Him. And He is going to teach you this incredible lesson of contentment. Shall we pray? Lord, I know the reason many of us hoard and store away and is fear and not faith and not trusting You. And yet we know that the only cure for our complacency is to ruthlessly give away what You have put in our hands. Father, we thank You that our sufficiency is in You. And Lord, um, many of us are learning, and some need to begin learning this lesson of contentment. I thank You for the Apostle Paul, a man who is as powerful as the judges in the Supreme Court of our day. And yet, many nights he spent in a prison cell. And even there in Philippi, he sang praises to your name in the middle of the cell. And you sent an earthquake, and you converted the Philippian jailer. You're a mighty God, and all you're asking us is faithfulness. Not at our own strength by trying harder, but completely trusting in your power to keep us faithful. We thank you for that comfort. We thank you for that assurance. And Father, whoever, wherever we are along this school, whether someone is uh, getting ready to graduate or someone still in elementary stage, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit be our teacher. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.